Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Joyau de la couronne, le joyau d'Arsenal, la pépite de l'Emirates Stadium répond toujours présent, année après année, saison après saison, le Big Boss, c'est lui. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, good evening and badly evening to you. Yes. Can it be a goodly evening and a badly evening at the same time? Schrodinger's evening. Yes. That's what we're experiencing right now. We are. There and is. what's in the box? Durian Timber's knee. What's in the box? <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, just at the time of uh, recording, as we've started recording a few minutes before, you know, we've come to understand that the injury suffered by Jurian Timber is uh, an ACL injury, which is probably going to keep him out for the season, which is unbelievably sickening for us as fans, for the team, and for him as a player to suffer an injury like that on your debut is just... It's cruel, really, isn't it? Oh, unbelievably cruel, unbelievably unlucky. Um, I, I should do the responsible thing and say that um, you're absolutely bang on that the early tests have suggested something, an anterior cruciate ligament injury, but there are more tests ongoing. So we don't at this stage know the full extent of the damage or, and if, I don't know, other areas of the knee may be damaged, but... It's bad news. It looks bad and it looks like a significant absence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a real blow. I, do you know what? My, my th thoughts really are with him. Yes. I just think you move country to come to Arsenal. It's the move you wanted this summer. It's a dream for you to come and play in the Premier League. You hit the ground running. You're the out one of the outstanding players in pre-season. And then to have it all whisked away from you yeah. in your Premier League debut. He must be absolutely gutted. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, because he does face now a long period of um, recuperation and re uh, rehabilitation and, and all the rest. And, mm. uh, you know, I think things are much more advanced when it comes to ACL injuries now than they used to be. Nevertheless, you know, we have seen those injuries impact players and have an effect on them down the line. So, you know, that's just me um fearing the worst for him but you're right it's it's absolutely terrible for him and 
you know, just so unfortunate because we, you know, last week we were doing the the season previews and writing about the squad and, you know, the big season preview and you're thinking about the defensive roster that we had. And uh, I think I said something like, I i don't think I can remember an Arsenal squad with the kind of defensive quality and depth that we have going into this season. And after one game, we're, we're losing somebody for, you know, basically the rest of this campaign. And um, yeah, it's really, really unfortunate, really sad for him. I mean, really sad for him, really sad for us, really sad for Mikel Arteta, I imagine, who has been pretty effusive in his praise of the player. Um, Arsenal spent a lot of money to bring him here for this season and he's not going to be available um, for some time. And that's a tremendous blow. The timing of it just feels so cruel. Yeah. like I say, you can't be anything else but but gutted. And I, and I have to be honest, like I, this was a player who, from the minute we were interested in him, I was so excited about seeing what he could do in the Premier League. And I, I think some of that some of that excitement has been justified by what we have seen of him. He's just looked such a natural in this team. Mm. It's a real shame, and he he solved so many problems for Arsenal. You know, he, he was playing left back the other day. He's very adept at right back. He's very adept at centre half. I have no doubt he was going to play 40 games, you know, plenty of football this season. And now there's a a, a gap to be filled. I mean, I guess it may mean opportunity for some others and doubtless we'll come on to that. But at the moment, yeah, just my, my, my heart goes out to him. It's really, really sad news. It is. It is. And look, you know, I know everybody, um, Involved, you know, Mikel Arteta afterwards said he went through all the tests at, at halftime and, and you know, got the clear from the doctors and the physios and all that. But I don't know if you, um, I did a podcast last week, the week before, with Dr. Andrew Mitchell from the University of Bedfordshire. We talked about injuries and rehabilitation. We talked about, you know, ACLs, ACLs in the women's game in particular, we, we spoke yeah. a little bit about. And I just asked him about this because. You know, secondary injuries are, are a thing and, you know, you get one injury and then you you overcompensate because of how finely tuned these footballers are. Um, I did ask him, like, what, what did you make of the decision to bring him back on? Uh, and he said to me, I'll just read a little bit from the email. He said, the mechanism of the injury at the end of the first half looks looked significant. I immediately said, surely they don't let him play on in the second half as the game looked comfortable for Arsenal at that point. The doctor and physio would have done the appropriate clinical test at halftime, which I assume he passed. The player wanted to play on and, in inverted commas, ignored any pain or discomfort. Uh, In halftime, MRI scans can't be carried out and interpreted, which is what you need to really diagnose these injuries. Um, But he said, as you spoke about uh, on the podcast, it's about limiting risk and knowing when to take the medicine. That's not a cowardly decision. It's a brave one. This is a classic example of a primary injury leading to a secondary injury. And obviously, the secondary injury is much worse uh, than maybe the primary injury he picked up. And, uh, you know, we were 2-0 up. We were comfortable. We had most of the ball in the game, you know. I know hindsight is twenty twenty and all the rest of it, but maybe it's one of those where um, they'll wish that they'd taken him off at halftime. Maybe, maybe, because the player's always going to want to play. That's it, you know? I mean, 
Especially uh, on his debut at home. Exactly. In, home I mean, debut. Playing probably quite his agents well. come over. Probably his family have come over. Yeah. You know, maybe they're in the director's box. It's a big, a big occasion for him. And if he if he has thinks he has any chance of playing on, he's going to want to do that. Club have to, you know, take these things out of players' hands at times. It's a completely different example, but I was watching the Spurs game over the weekend and um, Christian Romero suffered a knock to the head, clash of heads, and he actually scored about two minutes later and then was immediately substituted. He was very unhappy about being substituted. He said, I've just scored. What's wrong with you? But mm. the doctors were concerned about him. Um, and, you know, they put their foot down. You're coming off. I know head injuries are different, but that's how you want sure. to, what you want to see, really. Player safety is paramount. And, yeah, I, I no blame with me for the player at all. I, I completely understand why he would have wanted to play on. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to... Um, steal his thunder but um i've got this back injury andrew i've hurt my back and um <laughs> i know that's what the fans will really be concerned about right mm-hmm. and i've come literally straight from uh, a treatment table with physio and i was talking to him about timber and he was saying it's not inconceivable that he had pretty severely damaged his acl in the first incident and mm. played on via adrenaline or not quite extending, not quite realising. He said he'd worked with a, a lacrosse player who uh, did their ACL in game and, yeah, tried to play on for about 10 minutes before they actually came off. Yeah. Um, I was in the ground on Saturday and they were, they were in the process of bringing the stretcher on and Timber and the physio were both like, no, 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 no stretcher, no stretcher. Mm. And he walked off the pitch himself. Um at the time, I felt that was encouraging, you know. Uh, now I feel somewhat different about that. But it's, yeah, it's just a real, real shame. And I I just hope that we get some surprising good news that maybe the, you know, the recovery is not going to be quite as bad as we fear. Um, but what's, what is evident is we're not going to be able to call on him for some time at no. least. No. Uh, and obviously there are going to be some discussions or implications about our defensive lineup and maybe who might stay, who might go, whether we need to do anything else. Perhaps we'll talk about that. Well, we've got a few questions about that. Yeah, we do rather. Uh, So should we park that a bit for now? Yeah, we can park it a bit for now. But I mean, I think what's interesting, I don't know if it's interesting, could be coincidence, but we have seen a spate of ACL injuries in the men's game. Uh, in the last week or so, haven't we? Where, where Tyrone Mings did his on Saturday, it looks like. Mm. Uh, Emmy Buendia did his. So that's two for Aston Villa. Um, Thibaut Courtois uh, didn't Real Madrid. Who's the other guy? Is it Militao um, mm. who did his as well? So I don't know um, what exactly is going on. Maybe it's a consequence of last season's crazy season with players playing into the summer and playing international games and the schedule being all over the place and then coming back. I don't know. You know, you can, you can only guess, but. Um, it's, it's plausible. I mean, maybe preseason is kind of the time these things like to happen. Cause one of the issues with ACLs, I think is like, if you ramp up uh, loading quite mm. quickly, you know? So if, if you are going from sort of zero to 60, over the period of a few weeks, uh, that would be a risk factor. The only thing that's sort of contrary to that is that 
I don't think any of these players these days ever really get to zero. You know, they're, yeah. they're always in such good nick. Um, the seasons kind of blur into each other a little bit. So, yeah, who knows? It, to be honest, luck is a significant part of any ACL injury and it does look like this is just pretty bad luck. Yeah. Again, um, wishing him the best and and hopefully his recovery is as, as quick and as uncomplicated as you can get. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a bum note, isn't it, to kick off the the podcast after you know a good win on the opening weekend of the season, three points and all the rest of it. But that is that is the reality of of what we're facing and what Mikel Arteta and and uh, his staff have to face now and dealing without him. So let's talk about what the implications of that might be uh, in part two, where we do have questions about it. And we can we can come back around to this. So Nottingham Forest came on Saturday to the Emirates when the game eventually kicked off. It was pretty clear the way they uh, they were going to set up. They were going to sit deep. They were going to try and counter. They were going to try and make it difficult for us. You know, when you uh, do play with that low block or whatever you want to call it, it is really difficult to, to try and break that down. And we've been there, done that many times, not just in the Arteta era, but but plenty of times before teams that come and, and park the bus. I don't think that's a surprise, right? The way that they set up. So do you think that Mikel Arteta's slightly surprising team selection was made with that in mind, knowing how Forrest were going to play? Uh, he did mention, you know, his decisions were tactical, but do you think there's anything specific about that that setup that Forrest came with that made him think, you know, Partey at right back, inverting, et cetera, et cetera, was the way to go? Yeah, certainly. I think that's exactly what happened. Um, and credit to the manager. I mean, that was the likelihood that Forrest would play that way. They played that way on the road for the vast majority of last season. But uh, they do have the tools to play a bit of a more adventurous game and they use some of those tools in the second half. But they... You know, they really did come and sit very deep. He got it spot on. And uh, I think Arsenal had worked on that shape quite a lot during the week in the mm. build-up to the game. Uh, I don't know if all the personnel, you know, were exactly the same, but a big part of it, I think, was installing William Saliba as the kind of central fulcrum at the base of the team. Mm-hmm. Um and that was what we saw, really. I mean, there were parts of that first half where it felt like uh, like almost an inverse uh, Christmas tree formation with him as the, the star, you know, him as mm. the point at the top of the tree. It was kind of a, a one-man defence because even though, you know, Thomas Partey was ostensibly playing right back and Ben White was ostensibly playing centre-half, those were not the zones uh, that those players operated in in most phases of the game. Mm. I mean, it was interesting to see them swap around. Yeah. You know, and for Partey to end up central and, you know, he would drop in at, at centre half at times. And there were a few moments when Ben White went down the right in the more traditional Ben White way that we we, we know and love. Um, but it was fairly comfortable, I think, for Arsenal as well. There was that early chance for Brennan Johnson, but that was just sort of one of those freak bounces that can catch you out at any point in any game, you know, rather than 
you know, being cut apart by scintillating forest football or anything like that. Um, mm. I suppose you can always look at the defending in situations like that, but, you know, he didn't make the most of that chance. Thankfully, blazed wide. And then it just became Arsenal moving the ball, going from one side to the other side, favoring the right, I thought, because I I think, obviously, with Timber at left back and Havertz playing there and Martinelli, of course, who we know, um, you know, very well, but the relationships between, let's say, Havertz, Timber, and Martinelli aren't quite what Zinchenko, Shaka, and Martinelli would be like. So there was a sort of, it felt like it was a bit more sluggish over on that side. I think so. And actually, I, I think playing Partey at right back, although we think of, you know, White and Saka and Odegaard being this sort of important relationship for us on the right-hand side. I think playing someone like Partey who was going to invert, who was going to drift in field all the time, that was a lot about, you know, opening up space for Saka and trying to get him into one-on-one situations. Mm. Um, I think it was the Forest home game last season where uh, he, he ended up coming off, didn't he? Because they, could, they couldn't live with him, so they were just kicking him, essentially. Oh, that's right, yeah. Apart. That's right, yeah. Uh, it was a different left back on the day, but um, yeah, he was a nightmare for them to deal with. And I and I thought of, did, did you see that clip from Zinchenko's interview with Rio Ferdinand, where he was speaking about the inverted fullback job? No, I can't. I just can't watch Rio Ferdinand. I'm sorry. I'm interested in what Zinchenko has to say, but the consequence of that is having to listen to Rio Ferdinand, and sure. I won't, I won't do it to myself. Fair enough. Well, I've got good news for you. I can give you a quick um, perfect. Sort of you have suffered, so I may benefit. Thank you very much. Yeah, I watched the full thing. I think Ooh, about forty minutes. So I, I have suffered, so that yeah, you may benefit. Um, he was talking about the inverted fullback role. And it's actually quite a good fun clip because he's basically saying, showing Ferdinand all the tactical problems it presents and Rio, let's say, doesn't have all the answers. But he was saying the part of his job is, you know, he goes into the middle of the pitch and the purpose of that is that obviously it drags the right winger with him. Mm -hmm. And so if he gives Martinelli the ball, his job is done because... He's taken the right winger into the centre of the pitch and Martinelli is one-on-one with his defender. Sure. And he was basically like, you know, in my career, I've played with people like Leroy Sane, Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, Riyad Mahrez. If I get them one-on-one with their defender 10 times in a game, some good stuff's going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he was saying, obviously, the advantage is um, if the right winger says, well, I'm not going to go with you, I'm going to stick out on the flank and double up on Martinelli. He was like, now, you know, we've got an overload in the centre. He was like, I can do two versus one with Thomas Partey or Declan Rice, whoever it is, you know, play past number 10 and we can play through the middle of the pitch. Mm. So it was just a really nice, succinct explanation. I was a bit like, don't do this, Zinchenko, just to keep it quiet. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was really good. He's, he talks really, really well, actually. I think he's a, a, clearly a really smart guy. He thinks about the game a lot. So watching the Forest game, I was thinking, well, what, what we're seeing is that, you know, replicated on the opposite flank. It's about if party goes in field, we've got Saka one-on-one. If we get in the ball quickly enough, fun stuff's going to happen. And I just thought it was an interesting perspective because a lot of the time we used to say, well, we've got to have a runner outside Saka. We've got to support. We've got to give him, you know, someone on the overlap to take men away. Well, this is another way of taking markers away, having a right back who goes all the way infield uh, and then suddenly there's a lot less attention on our star mm. map. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, those relationships are going to take some time to develop. And I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Havertz a bit uh, because he was um, the topic of conversation um, after the game for a little while. But we did score two goals in the first half. Quite, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was quite noticeable, but both of them came from corners. I mean, they're open play goals, but the passage of play that led to each of them was was a corner that Nottingham Forest cleared. So the first one uh, was when Martinelli took his, and then the second one when Saliba won the ball back and gave it to Saka, and, and he did what he did what he did. And I, I liked the way that there was a, an intent to win the ball back as high up the pitch as possible when we did lose it. When it does break down, when you play against teams like Forest who sit deep, you know the quicker you win it back when they get it or when your your move breaks down you know the more chance you have of of doing something and opening them up but i mean what martinelli did was kind of extraordinary wasn't it he just sort of dribbled his way did the roulette little back heel to eddie and uh, eddie did very well stepped inside and shot past matt turner yeah uh i'm glad you mentioned by the way the way we won the ball back um, because watching the game in the stadium, it was kind of the thing that stood out to me most was how physical our approach was and how athletic we looked. Mm. I mean, unfortunately, Timber was a big part of that as well. I really, you know, one of his big attributes is his aggression, I think, and his you know, willingness to, to get to his man quickly. Um, but I thought Partey, Rice, uh, Saliba, White, Martinelli were really, you mm. know, tireless in kind of uh, winning it back as early as possible. Um, it kind of led to the goal and yes, yeah, sensational stuff from Martinelli. I mean, that little roulette spin. And I think if you, I've seen some debate about, oh, what did he mean there? You know, did he mean the pass? The contact with the heel is is really firm contact. It looks to me like he is certainly knocking it into that area, whether it's specific enough to be like, oh, there's Eddie. I better give it to him. I don't know. But yeah. I think there's a deliberateness about the move, for sure. I agree. I agree. Because what he could try and do, you know, if he's trying to get past them, is uh, he would use the the sole of his foot, right? He would give it another little roulette, but he didn't. He hit it with the heel. Uh, You know, I don't necessarily believe he was uh, trying to play an inch-perfect pass for Eddie and Keddy, but that's what it turned out. That's what it turned out to be. What what may have been in his mind, to be frank, he might have seen the white of the penalty area line and thought, right, I'll knock this between these two, run through the middle, and hopefully one of them pulls me down. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think that's as plausible as anything else. But and I, I think, to be honest, it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a pointless debate. The whole question of like, did he mean it? Did he not? Because these decisions are not conscious in that way most of the time. You know, a player's just reacting in the moment and sure. playing on pure instinct. It's not like a planned thing, but it did come off beautifully. And fair play to Eddie. Uh, he got the shot away, took a nick. No chance for Matt Turner. No chance. Uh, he was close, close, yeah. but uh, couldn't couldn't keep it out. Yeah. The second one, no Absolutely. mercy for Matt Turner from Bakaya Saka. Absolutely zero chance of stopping that. Um, <laughs> and I thought he made some good saves on the day. He did. He did. The one from Declan Rice in the second half. That's an outstanding save. It really is a brilliant save. 
a brilliant save. And look, you know, uh, I, I didn't want him to have a terrible day. I didn't want Matt Turner to, you know, chuck one in his own net or anything like that. But I wanted the kind of goal that Bakayo Saka scored. I wanted a few of those, to be honest, yeah. where you can say, well, there isn't a keeper in the world who's going to save that. And I don't know that there is a keeper in the world who would have saved that shot from Bakayo Saka. He's had, a, you know, by his own standards, a relatively quiet preseason, right? Mm-hmm. Relatively. But when it counts, when it matters, first game of the season, he produces, you know, a contender for goal of the month already, I'm sure. And it's the kind of... it's. People have uh, talked about this, you know, you know, the um, Aryan Robin thing Mm -hmm. where you know what he's going to do, but you can't stop it. And I think we're kind of in that territory now for uh, when it comes to Bukayo Saka, where the defender that he sort of drove past went, oh, fuck. You could almost see him go, oh, geez. I I think he tried to pull him back a little bit, but he shrugged him off and, and, and applied that kind of finish. Unbelievable. Just sensational goal. Yeah, I was right behind it. And my reaction was similar to that of Kai Havertz, hand on head in <laughs> disbelief, you know. Um, and you're right. I think the defender, he has a little tug at him. He kind of hangs a leg out because mm. he knows. Matt Turner knows. He's probably seen him do it in training a hundred times. But it's a a brilliant, brilliant strike. And you, you make a fair point about preseason, but... You know, one of the things I thought was really interesting about the summer was Saka's finishing in his, his, I think, what was his final game of last season for England. Mm. He banged in a hat-trick, you know, with some brilliant goals. And uh, this was maybe better than any of those. I mean, just a stupendous strike. Um, I mean, he scored some brilliant goals for Arsenal, but that's got to be, you know, pretty close to the top. Yeah, it is. Mm. There's just a growing conviction about the way he strikes the ball in these scenarios. If you go back and watch his academy goals, he's smashing the ball in from all angles. We saw a bit of it last season. We saw it off his right foot at times, yeah. you know, into that near top corner. Saw it against United. But here he's just sort of letting loose. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what can you say? Sensational goal. Unbelievable. I love him. I love him as two very much. Yes. When I feel sad about things like Jurian Timber's injury, think about I think Bukai. about Bukai Saka yeah. and I feel happier when I think about him. Let's just take Try a moment. yourself, guys. Yeah, here, we'll give you a moment. Think of it. See? You're feeling better already. That's how it works. <sighs> he, is, he is just unbelievable. Um, so 2-0 at halftime and it was comfortable. I think we had 85% possession in the first half. Something like that. Crazy. And, and I mentioned the, the challenges, and I, I think we did this much better in the first half than the second half. I remember seeing, when I was at half-time, I was in the concourse, seeing Alessio Russo score for uh, mm-hmm. England in the World Cup. But also they flashed up the match stats. And yeah, it was 80-something percent possession for Arsenal. But we committed more fouls than Forrest, which I think was sort of illustrative of you know, the fact that whenever they did have it, Mm. Either we were taking the ball off them, or if necessary, we would, you know, give them a free kick. But we weren't allowing them to build anything. No. Um, and I think we could have done slightly better at that in the second half. The, the one thing I would say about the first half is we did score two 
brilliant goals and they kind of had to be brilliant. It wasn't like there was a hat full of chances for no. us in the game. No, no. Um, but maybe that is the nature of playing against a deep block. It's hard to come by opportunities and you are going to rely on your individual quality to to get the breakthrough. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of the way Forrest set up the way they set up. And mm -hmm. even at 2-0, they didn't change. They didn't change because, you know, they thought, well, if we get one, then maybe we can have a go in the last 15 minutes. And as it turned out, you know, that shit happened. So we'll come to that. But, you know, it is really difficult to to find space and to create chances. You know, you can think about uh, what's a good analog to this. Maybe the Tottenham game last season, if you remember, where they set up in a very, very similar way. And the way we had to score, if you remember, the opening goal was Thomas Partey curling one in from outside yes. the box because we basically they were sitting so deep. The only space was in front of the box. And the only way you can score is with the kind of precision that Partey showed that day, which is curling one into the top corner. Similarly, Martinelli, that run, that precision of pass, Eddie's turn and shot, uh, and Saka's turn and shot. I mean, that's as precise as you get. So that is the nature of playing against these teams. You don't get a lot of chances. And on another day where you're maybe 1% or 2% off in terms of your finishing or where, wherever, you're, you're going in at halftime nil-nil and frustrated and maybe a little anxious. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And instead, you know, we're all feeling pretty good about life at half time, I suspect. Yeah. Um, but the second half was a, a slightly different beast, I thought. I think Arsenal, you know, they had Forrest in their grip and that grip sort of slightly loosened, I think, uh, over that first 20 minutes or so. Of the first yeah, I mean, we had to make the change, obviously, with Tommy Asu coming on for... Yeah for timber i mean this this was sort of my worry at halftime was that we would be in this lead which is a relatively comfortable lead but one that we have lost a few times in our last number of matches you know going back across to the end of last season and stuff like that the most dangerous scoreline in football i know it's a cliche but we have made it you know quite <laughs> it's true, true for us it's, 100%. Yeah, very very true for us so i was really looking for a bit more in the second half. I think perhaps those relationships that we mentioned in the first half, um, you know, they take a bit of time. You're not quite as fluent as you might like to be. And in 10 games time, you're both more fluent and you're probably fitter, match, much more match fit, if that makes sense. So I think there was perhaps an element of that, those things informing the second half performance and there were a couple of moments where maybe that third goal could have come. You think about the the Declan Rice uh, chance and the save from from Matt Turner that we already mentioned. Really, really good save. But if he just gets slightly less of a fingertip on that, it's going inside the post and it's three nil, and then it's you know game over. Job uh, job is Oxo and all the rest of it, right? Yeah, um, there was another Rice shot which bounced towards the top corner. Uh, and that was that was the one that they scored from. Afterwards, they got a corner. Yeah. I think that's the corner that they scored from. But I mean, does, well, does, we got a corner, Andrew. Oh, we got a corner. <laughs> of course, that's what I mean. We got a corner, and then they scored. Um, but I mean, is that something that concerns you? Is that sort of tendency to allow teams back into games when they really don't merit the scoreline? If you know what I mean, where. You, you have to 
I know it's easier said than done, right? Of course. Score another goal and score another goal and then make a load of changes and everyone's happy and everyone thinks, you know, the world is, is brilliant. I know that's easier said than done, but to what extent do you think it might be becoming a bit of a thing, not just within our own minds, within the minds of the players and the manager and everything else, but also for opposition teams who might find themselves with 20% possession in a game and there's 10 minutes left and they don't quite give up hope because Arsenal haven't, they haven't strangled them enough. Yeah. And Mikel Arteta is pretty emphatic about this stuff, isn't he? He says, You've, you have to get the third goal to kill the game. I think the problem, the problem is there are some, I mean, if Man City are two nil up, do teams feel like they've got a chance? I'm not sure they do. Mm. I think there are some teams that can exhibit such an extraordinary degree of control that it can kind of suffocate any hope. I don't think Arsenal are in that place at the moment, especially not off the run of, uh, you know, thrown away leads that you alluded to towards the end of last season. And the problem with 2-0 is it, it just takes one moment and suddenly it's a contest. Mm. And there were a couple of warning signs, I think, quite early in the second half. Ramsdale made a save that was, I think, offside, but, you know, it was a little bit of flicker of hope for yeah. Forrest. Um, they had some corners. They had a few corners at their end in front of their fans. Uh, there was a little sort of scrappy spat, I seem to remember, between some of the players, which again sort of fired them up. And you just thought this is a little bit of a wobbly period. Arsenal did make changes. Trossard came on for uh, Eddie, I think, on about 70 minutes or so. Um, and, and we did go looking for that third goal at times. It would have absolutely have killed it. I think what really swung it was the changes they made as well. They brought on the centre forward. Uh, is it Awini? Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for everyone in Nigeria. I mangled that terribly. But he, he was a real handful. Um, and then Elanga comes on, completely fresh. And almost the first thing he does <laughs> is run the length of the pitch from one end to the other to set up a goal. I mean, it is, yeah. And, and he's also fresh and fast and ready against a central midfielder playing at right back. You know, Yes, the, the, and we saw the other side of that, didn't we? I mean, yeah. Thomas Partey, when we're in possession, it, it, when we move up the pitch in that phase of the game, he looks very comfortable drifting central areas. When he's forced to go the other way in a 1v1 situation, uh, he looks substantially less comfortable. Yes. Um, I mean, they did have that that they had a penalty claim, I think, the Declan Rice handball thing. Yes, they were very unhappy about that after the game. I think it, I don't I think it would have been really harsh, you know, yeah, really given the way the ball fell and where his where his arms were. But I, I do think there's maybe a case to be made for a foul on Kai Havertz in the build-up to the build-up, if you want to call it that, before Elanga takes the ball and just fucking roasts his way down the, the left wing. <laughs> yeah. Havertz is basically loafed in the head at the corner. And I I can see uh, on the video that he does sort of go down, but I don't know if he went down sufficiently well, if that makes sense, uh, to attract the attention of the referee who would have had to stop it because it's a head injury. I mean, I think it's a foul. I do think it's a foul, but I don't know what the the ruling is there that maybe there's too much distance between uh you know the that 
thing being committed on Havertz, but I, I just wonder if maybe he could have gone down and held his head more obviously and play would have stopped. But, you know, I also think we could have defended that better. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I remember, do you know what? I, I remember when they got this corner and it was right in front of me. I was uh, in the North Bank. And I remember thinking, we are very committed here. We had a lot of men in the box. We were chasing that third goal. Mm. And I think it was pretty much, uh, I'm trying to think who was back. I think it was just Ben White, really. And I remember thinking, mm, we've, we've, we're really going for this here. And, and that's potentially a bit dangerous. Um, even so, I don't think we could have anticipated Forrest executing the break quite as well as they did. Mm. I think there was a bit of a miscommunication as well because Declan Rice makes like an 80, you know, 90 yard run back and um, as does, I think, Trossard. But I, I don't think, I think while the intent from the players was good, I don't think there was great clarity about what exactly everyone's job is in terms of stopping that counter. Mm. And it just ended up with one guy getting quite a free run with the ball and another guy very much getting across his man to, to poke it into the near post. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, keeper has no chance when it comes from, from that close. And, uh, you know, it is, it's, it's sharp movement from the striker to get across Ben White there, but, yeah. uh, it was frustrating and also, you know, a little bit nerve wracking because you knew at that point that there was going to be a significant amount of injury time, not, quite as much as I had feared, I have to say. But I did think that there was going to be, um, you know, at least I thought there be might, might be because of the injury and everything else, I thought there might be like eight or nine minutes. It turns yeah. out it was seven. But this is something you've got to factor in as well, isn't it? Though you can see the goal in the 82nd minute, but there's still then 15 minutes to play. It's a lot of time for just another one of those moments. It is, and it's that weird thing where, you know, one wouldn't imagine Arsenal have done a great deal of time-wasting in the game and then suddenly, you know, it, it all comes back to bite them because there is this lengthy stoppage for for us to try and grab an equaliser. Um, but we had the comfort of Gabrielle to bring on, uh, which was mm -hmm. needed, I think, for some physicality at the back to help handle their sort of revamped front line. Yeah. Um you know, it was that thing that, I mean, they made, I think, you know, they made good changes. I mean, I almost sort of thought, why didn't you start those guys? They looked much more dangerous. But, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it did make it a little bit nervy. And I think we probably were all thinking back to West Ham and Anfield and mm. Southampton and, you know, uh, slightly different games, Southampton won, but just those sort of nervous uh, losses of late leads. But fortunately... Um, we held out this time. Yeah, I don't think they really threatened too much. You know, there was no. a, the only one I can really remember. There was a Gibbs White shot, maybe a minute after they actually scored yeah, and fired it over the, the box, bar, yeah. where it maybe looked a little more dangerous than it was. It was fairly well over, but Ramsdale had a good dive at it anyway. Um, and there were moments maybe where we could have done a bit more ourselves. You know, there were a couple of breaks. Um, Havertz went up top, didn't he? And he, and, you know, had a couple of, sort of runs on the counter where he might have made something of it potentially. Yeah, um, wasn't there a bizarre one where he actually handled the ball? And, ah, really? I didn't see. Yeah, that. he like the ball went over the top, and he very clearly handled it. But somehow we got a corner because of the way the rules are with regards 
goal scoring opportunities. I can't remember what they were saying on the TV. But if he'd scored, it wouldn't have counted, kind of thing. Something like that. But we get the corner. But if we'd have scored the corner, it would have been a goal, even though he'd handled it. Oh, that's strange. Strange. Wow. I don't. I don't quite know. I, but. One thing I noticed in the ground, as anyone who was there will have seen, we now have a uh, a clock for stoppage time. Um, ah, I had a which question we've about never this. Never had before. And apparently. Because I mentioned it on YouTube, and a few people replied in the comments. It's a FIFA rule change that now permits uh, teams to do that. Ah, you see, we had a, we had a question on the Discord um, from Limpar eighty four who was asking if this was uh, an Arteta instruction, so the crowd know exactly how much injury time has gone, and then they can start whistling and blowing if he goes over that time. But it is—is is it a FIFA edict or is it? Is it just a, you know, each club can decide for themselves if they're going to show how much injury time there there has been? Not sure. Um, not sure. Just sort of trying to guess what five words I could uh, yeah. uh, Google to bring me that answer. Um, don't know. But I, I basically, I gather that we weren't allowed to have it before and now we are. And it saves me getting my little iPhone out and starting a stopwatch and anxiously looking at it every five seconds. So... Mm. I was grateful for that um, and grateful for the three points. I mean, it was a strange game, it, I think, in some ways because Arsenal were comfortably the better team and yet we sort of had this nervous end to it. And, and I think there were lots of things we could have done better. Mm. Um, I think we definitely could have created more clear-cut chances um, and I think we could have kept up the pressure and the momentum in the second half better than we did. But as I keep saying, it's not about peaking in August. It's about peaking next spring. Yeah, I mean, it's not unusual for your first game of the season to be imperfect, right? Because mm -hmm. preseason is what it is, and you, you prepare as well as you can. But once the real competition starts, that's how you get fully up to speed. And, and like we said, we have these new players, like three new players started, one of them playing ostensibly out of position, you know, in Timber playing at left back. I mean, he can very clearly do it to a high level, but it's not really his position. And, you know, the the, the players that they were replacing, um, Shaka and Zinchenko, were very fundamental to how well we played last season. So I think yeah. there's... No Gabriel Jesus as no well. No Gabriel Jesus, no Gabriel as well. You know, he, he started 73 consecutive Premier League games and had to sit this one out from the start, which, you know... is. What did you make of that? I mean, I was I was surprised, I have to say. I was surprised. I was wondering how much different we would be against Nottingham Forest if it had been, um, you know, the usual back four or the back four that we would have expected with White, Saliba, Gabriel, Timber. Um, was it a case of trying to get Havertz onto the pitch in a way? Yeah, you know what or, I mean? already onto the pitch. You know, an extra already, yeah, well, I mean, he did speak. Player, he know? did speak. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's about... You know, the fact that he expected Forrest to sit deep and if we are going to overload somewhere, let's put another attacking or creative player or goal scorer on the pitch. And he spoke very effusively about the way Eddie and Ketty are trained uh, yes. during the week. I mean, he must have been fucking mad for it. How do you, like, how do you train that hard? A beast, he described him as. Yeah, he said something to the effect of, 
you know, you're an idiot if you don't pick me, was kind of the way mm. Eddie trained. Um, I, I think Mikel Arteta, over the course of his time as Arsenal manager, has probably said more nice things about Eddie Nketiah than he has about any other player. <laughs> I think that could be true. That could be true. But look, it's a start and it's a goal. And he scores when he starts. I'm not saying he scores every time he starts, but when he scores, he's a starter. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he... Look, it's a good problem to have in the absence of Jesus and and maybe some other players who, you know, have played well. Trossard, for example, must be wondering why he can't get a start. Yeah, had a uh, good cameo as well. I thought Trossard. Yeah, he did. Some good moments. He did. But look, the main thing is three points, right? Uh, and I think it's much easier to pick the bones out of a performance when you've got three points on the table. Uh, and you can you can you know really assess how you're going to make things better, how you're going to improve for the next game. Um, whatever criticisms or or analysis there is, once you've got that win under your belt, uh, I think you um, I think you just go from there. I mean, you remember last season we started with a two nil win away at Crystal Palace, but it was one nil for a long time, wasn't it? And the the second goal came very very late, and I'm not saying it added. A bit of gloss to the scoreline, but that wasn't necessarily a a completely comfortable uh, win on the opening day either. Yeah. They had chances as well. Yeah, uh, I was there that night. I remember very well. They had chances. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the win is is paramount. You know, we're going to be improving hopefully and setting players in and trying new things in the, over the next few months. But you've got to keep. The league and particularly Man City demand mm-hmm. that you keep picking up results while you go through that process. Um, the Gabriel one, I think, I, I, I am interested by that. I do. I know Arteta or the club have said tactical reasons. I do wonder if something might emerge about a physical problem or something. Just because yeah. I look at that number seventy-three consecutive starts, and I think I'm all for trying new things, but it's a big step to take him out. And he's such been such a pivotal building block for us. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll be back in on, on Monday and that's just going to be the way it is this season. I think variety, we're going to have to get used to it and ch- having different game plans. Mm. I was struck watching this weekend's football. You know, last season, Arsenal fielding Zinchenko as a kind of inverted fullback or Ben White doing similar things at the time was pretty innovative, pretty out there. You know, only really City were doing it. Um, I must have seen half a dozen teams doing it over the course of the weekend. You know, Spurs had a couple of inverted fullbacks. Liverpool have got Trent Alexander-Arnold doing that job now. It doesn't take long for the league to catch on and yeah. the game is evolving all the time. And I, I guess Arteta, he wants to be at the forefront of that and he wants to be continually innovating so that the opposition are playing catch-up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really true. You know, things that are innovative one season are the norm, the next, and you've got to think of new ways. And I think Arteta said something along those lines after the game, didn't he, about how it's his job to, I can't remember, fool the opposition or something like that, uh, or to keep people thinking. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along those lines. So, you know, everybody knows if Sinchenko's going to play, they're going to know what it is that, um, you know, that he's going to do. Uh, I'm just seeing if I can find that quote. Yeah, it's my job to create bigger problems for the opponents uh, than the ones that they are creating us. Uh, so, yeah, we might see some surprising team selections, but if it results in three points, um, I think we'll take that. I mean, just before we go into the break, I did see people sort of say, 
oh, this is, you know, the performance wasn't great. This is Arteta going a bit galaxy brain, blah, blah, blah. I mean, isn't that also kind of what people have wanted? You know, to have that bit more variety, to be a bit more unpredictable, to be not the thing that everybody expects us to be, um, that there may be going to be a few teething problems with that as we implement those those different kind of formations or systems or whatever you, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, like, as I say, that could just, it could be as simple as that as to why Gabriel's rotated out. It's a way of uh, creating a different impetus to the team and meaning that opposition can't prepare for us as well as they could last season. I mean, basically, if you were playing Arsenal last season, broadly, you knew who was going to play mm -hmm. and you knew what they were going to do. And I think any uncertainty we can create around that is probably going to benefit us as long as we win the games along the way. And I think Arteta, obviously, he's lost a player today, um, but I think he feels much more confident in his squad and the broader, wider group. Um, so I think we might have to get used to being surprised by some of his selections. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's uh, let's see what he does. Uh, the season is long and it's all ahead of us, basically. So uh, we'll see what happens next. Okay, we will take a little break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog.
Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And uh, I did mention a podcast that we did exclusively for our Patreon members. I just think in the light of this timber injury, it's a conversation that people might like to hear. So... I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You don't have to be a Patreon member to listen. It's uh, free to air, so to speak. So if you want to have a listen to uh, me speaking to Dr. Andrew Mitchell, you can do that. Just follow the the link in the show notes. Of course, if you did want to sign up to Patreon and support everything that we do at, uh, at Arsblog, it's patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right. Do you want to go back in on the timber thing, seeing as we've mentioned it? Um, yeah, have you got a question? Uh, I, yeah, I have a question here um, from Noeling. Uh, and just to sort of give us a kickoff point, I suppose, uh, and I do want to ask you what you think the implications of this might be. Noeling says, hi, guys, who's your starting left back for the next game if both Zinchenko and Timber aren't available? And I think what was something we didn't really mention in the first part of the show was Kieran Tierney was not in the squad. Mm-hmm. And I know people will have their own view on Tierney as a player, and a lot of people love him, and I get it completely. As far as we can tell, the pecking order for Mikel Arteta when it comes to left back, you know, there are four players now ahead of Kieran Tierney in Timber, Tommy Asu, Zinchenko, and even Kivior at times. So. Where do you think that leaves Tierney? And, you know, again, what do you think Arsenal might want to do in reaction to the Timber injury? Because even though he started his career here on the left, he was signed primarily to, you know, be cover, competition, whatever you want to call it, on the right, because he can play at centre half on the right. He can play right back as well. And I think everybody was pretty happy that in the right-back position, we had sufficient cover and depth. You know, when you've got white Tomiyasu timber, you're really well covered in that position. And, of course, you still have Tomiyasu, and hopefully he can stay fit. So uh, about 72 questions there in one, James. So off you go. (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing, right? Like, the thing about Jurian Timber's injury is that we signed a player like Jurian Timber to help us cope with an injury like the one Jurian Timber has just suffered. Mm. Um, we're kind of just sort of back where we started in some respect. I, I was thinking about it before the show and I was like, I'm sure people are going to ask about Kieran Tierney. But personally, I don't think this changes anything for Kieran Tierney. I agree. I just think that... As you say, at left-back, Zinchenko to come back, Tomiyasu came on the other day, Kivior, who's played there in pre-season and at the end of last season. Um, I think that ultimately, Tierney is still not the type of player that Mikel Arteta wants at left-back and Timber's injury does not change that. Mm. So I think his future still lies elsewhere. And I saw there was a story... um, in the Telegraph today about, you know, Newcastle still looking for a left-back. They'd like to do a loan. Kieran Tierney's among their targets. I, I don't think I can see Arsenal doing a loan to Newcastle unless there's, you know, a big 
option or obligation attached to that loan. Mm. Um, Nor should they, given the that's what I mean. Given the, the wealth of Newcastle, and I know there and, might and be FFP implications, but like, come on, they're owned by they're the richest football club on the planet, and you're not going to take a player on loan, even if he is surplus to requirements. Why should we help you without you at least, you know, giving us a load of money, which we could then use, you know, to offset uh, the the extra strength that Newcastle would have. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle seems to be taking this bizarre stance of uh, observing the, trying to observe the financial fair play rules, which in a league where Chelsea exists, I don't really understand uh, the point. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. But, um, yeah, so I, so on the left back side, I don't think this really changes very much. I think it's a blow, and I think Timber would have started a lot of games in that position. I really do. Um, uh, the right back side... I think we're definitely weaker because we've got Ben White in as right back. Um, we've got Tommy Asu behind that, but Tommy Asu's had a lot of injury problems of his own. Also, if we were to lose a centre half, Gabriel or uh, Saliba, we wouldn't be able to put Timber in there. So we'd probably be moving White and then you're kind of down a right back. But we did just play Thomas Partey at right back against Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> I'm I'm not fully sold on it. You know, I think it worked fine. But I'm, before you go on, I just will. In order to squeeze in a question, Johnny jo Johnny Comer said, "TP inverted right back. Does it work? Uh, are we missing out on his qualities in CM? And is it worth it if Gabriel's on the bench to accommodate it? I don't think so," says Johnny. I sort of agree with that. I sort of agree with that. I mean, I think you know certain games. Certain games, I think it's probably fine. And maybe a game against Nottingham Forest at home, it is fine. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I'm just, you know, maybe I need to see it more. Maybe it needs to work better against a bigger team or something. I'm just not, personally, it's not to my taste. Which, I, I of course, think, is I mean, just... The thing is, I, I don't think know. it's that different from putting Zinchenko left back. Um, you know, Zinchenko gets run on the outside. Zinchenko doesn't look comfortable going backwards. Um but in games where you dominate the ball, it can do you more good than harm. Sure. Uh, and I think, you know, against an opponent like Forrest, and, and Arteta got it spot on in terms of what their approach would be, you can get away with it. But get away with it is probably the phrase, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, I don't think in the biggest games it's something you want to have to do. Yeah. Like I know we're, we're, we can look at situations like this in a sort of glass half empty kind of way, but you know, Saliba is back and playing well, but you know, he said he's not a hundred percent yet, but you know, if you get the back injury and then, you know, you get a, if you get another double whammy injury on the right side of your defense, what are you doing? Mm. Is it Rob holding time again? And with, uh, with all due respect know. to Rob, you know, that's not, that's something we should have learned from, you know? Yeah. And I think he, he probably would quite like to go as well. So Cedric Remontada. So what yeah, we're looking at I, I don't think Rob Holding's going to, you know, be swung by, do you want to stay in case four people get injured? No. You know, I, I, I think if he gets a move, if, if someone comes in, he'll still go. But I have to say, like, and this is all breaking news, the Timber thing, and I have not had any conversations around it yet i don't know the plans but i my gut says that arsenal won't buy a, a defender i think they will stick with what they've got do you think they might dip into the loan market perhaps or maybe 
that would make sense, wouldn't it? Hmm. Um, but their squad is weight is like yeah, huge, 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 huge. Um, so, and like I say, I think in a weird way, we bought this player so that we could cope with a situation like this. You know, we do still have depth. Mm. We do still have two good right backs. We've got at least a couple of left backs. Um, so I think we probably still have enough. I just think it's it's more his quality. Honestly, I, yeah. I just think he's better than a lot of our other options. Well, I think he would have. Ma- I think he would have made us a better team this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they'll do anything? It's hard because you've bought this player on a five-year contract. You know? Well, that's it. Yeah, you're not going to go out and buy another player like that. And I think he has know, got a twin brother. <laughs> if we're interested, I do wonder. Maybe you know, is there scope for somebody like Rule Walters? Mm. to provide some cover or at least get some playing time in some of the, the cup games or something Domestic like cups, that. maybe, yeah. You know, uh, like I saw him in, did he play in the Man United game? Might, uh, have, no. Not sure, didn't watch that one, so not sure. I can't quite remember what game I saw him in, but I was impressed by his size and physique. Um, and he's obviously fairly... Uh, highly rated, but how ready he is is another question. I don't know. I mean, I guess it might depend on how they view both Zinchenko and Tomiyasu. Well, that's the worry, right? Because neither of those players mm, are, you know, immune from injury. I think Tomiyasu is more than good enough if he stays fit, you know, to to cover and rotate with Ben White at right back. Absolutely. I think it's a is. big if, isn't it? If he stays it is fit. a big if, and the reality of Zinchenko is, you know, he sometimes misses. Sometimes you get him. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes maybe fit. Sometimes maybe, you know, he's yeah. he's he's he is definitely going to miss chunks of the season. Zinchenko. There's no two ways about it. You look at his injury record. Go on transfer marked. He's one of the only players I think who's got like a three-page injury list. Um, so you have to take that into account. I, I, I could be over-egging it. Maybe it's two, but um, it's all like calf injury, calf injury, muscle injury, whatever. But that's just who he is. And, that you know, that's been present throughout his career. So you've got to expect a certain amount of, of absence from Zinchenko. So I think that might go into their thinking. I do wonder if maybe towards the end of the window, if they can get some players out and if there's room in the squad if there's room in the squad, you know, somebody's on the loan market or there's somebody out there who's slightly experienced cover wouldn't surprise me. Well, that's the thing right now. We've still got a lot of defenders on mm. the books. You know, even Cedric is still there. Um, <laughs> and so, so my instinct is that they won't, do it unless they pick up more injuries by the way on the defense a complete wild card option at center half you know you do have Declan Rice as well who mm-hmm. has played at center half in his career and I can see games where you might think yeah stick him in and he can do that ball playing role from the back um so I do think we've got the numbers I just think we've lost a, a really good player an excellent player yeah yeah, uh, that's that's the shame of it. Yeah. Um, whatever you whatever you do is going to be a slight compromise, but you know, there you go. Yeah, well, this is kind of 
a related question in some respects. Jack Abela on Twitter said, I can't call it X, Andrew. It's too mad. No, too it's mad. Twitter. Okay. Um, evening. How detrimental do you think it will be to the season if we can't move on players and have a bloated squad? We saw how connected the small group were last year. Do we need to retain that feeling within the squad? I mean, you want the right number of players around. You don't want players who are in training and hanging around knowing that they're never going to play and they're not going to play any minutes. I thought it was really quite interesting on, was it Friday maybe, there was a picture, I think it was Cedric, who posted a picture of some players who come in for afternoon training rather than training in the morning with the group. Right. And there was Balagoon. Detention, basically. Yeah. And there was Balagoon, there was Cedric, there was Albert Samuel Conga, I think Nuno Tavares. Maybe there was another one as well. I don't I don't quite know. How mad is that? We just had a like a 10-minute conversation about left-back and none, none of us even said Nuno Tavares. You know, yeah. I, I genuinely forget these players play for us. Uh, out of out of sight, out of mind, kind of thing. Yeah, but 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 obviously that was a conscious decision because you know you have to manage that situation. So it's not like you're going to exclude them all week long. But I would say on the Friday session when you're preparing for the game and when you're you want to work with the players who are going to be in the squad, maybe these guys, you know, you come in in the afternoon and do whatever training you do, or maybe they're all injured. I don't know. Maybe they're all just carrying an injury and they're just doing fitness work. I don't know what it is, but I don't think that's necessarily sustainable. Andrew, I'm, I'm looking at our squad page on Arsenal.com now. Yeah, it's four four pages it's long. mad. Yeah. it's. I think it's got 32 players in it. Inclu uh, uh, plus goalkeepers. No, no, that's including the keepers. That's including. I mean, we're about to announce David Raya at some point. That will be the fifth goalkeeper in the senior squad. You can't have too many. Can we play them all? That would help. Five. Still stand on the line. Did they get rid of one from the... They did. They took one out. Did they? Oh, Matt Turner, obviously, yeah, of course. Ah, Matt Turner, yeah, Matt Turner. right. Yeah, we were we going to go for six, of We course. did have five goalkeepers, and now we've got, you know, Ramsdale, Runison, Carl Hine, and Arthur Okonkwo listed. Uh, yeah, it is. It's too big. They've got to get, they've got to get moving, but I, I do think it is going to be... 11 defenders. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of these guys have got to go. In terms of how disruptive it can be, it can get bad. I mean, we all remember... Uh, the season where we couldn't register. Who was that guy who wore number 10? I forget his name now. <laughs> um, and Socrates, of course. Yeah. And, you know, that that was tricky politically. And there was, I don't know if anyone remembers that season, but, you know, there were things that came out of the dressing room, which is what happens when you've got people on the outside looking in and they're unhappy and they're not getting a chance to play. It, it can a bit of a rock can set in yes. if, you, if you've if you got people who aren't included. One bad apple and all the rest of it, you know. Yeah, but it, you know what? I, it's I don't, human it's nature, like isn't bad it? bad apples. It's yeah. just that they're being made to train on their own in the afternoons or whatever it is, you know. It's not healthy. No. It's not good. No, I think they really need to work hard on this. But, you know, I think the, the market sort of not sorts this out, but I think in the last couple of weeks – uh, of the window, things really start to move. And there's a lot you know of money sloshing around. Sorry, Andrew, to cut across. But you know what's really interesting? I urge you to go on the Arsenal first team players uh, page. I'm there, I'm there. Because they recently had their club 
photo shoot, right? The media mm-hmm. day. We all saw the pictures of Win the Dog on her throne. We sure did. But so everyone's got brand new, uh, updated profile pictures. Uh huh. Well, uh, that and not everyone has. <laughs> oh, I'm looking now. Nuno. So some players they've just not really bothered with. So Okonkwo, Nuno, Sambi, Pepe, and Balogun uh, are still on last season's profile picture. Yeah. So they were, they didn't even have a space for them in the photo shoot. This is like the this is like the website version of the training bibs. Kind of. I mean that tells a story, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Like Pepe, Pepe hasn't even come back. Like I assume Rudison's I'd- done well to get a photo, hasn't he, for this year? He has. He has, to be fair. <laughs> but I mean, the Pepe situation, right? I Where know- is Nicola Pepe? Well, he's training and he's on his own and he's training on his own. Well, where? I don't know. In this garden, I don't know. Like I don't it's know if he's in mysteries. England. I presume, but like something like that. How does that happen? Like, what is the process for that situation to develop? Because Nuno is back, and Sambi is back, and Runerson is back. And, you know, I know that Pepe wasn't necessarily a player um, to Arteta's tastes, but nor do I think he was, like, some kind of bad guy or anything like that, you know? Uh this kind of situation must be done with a discussion between the player and the and the club, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm saying where's where's Pepe? I don't think they're saying that at London Colney. I don't think they're. Gonna, is he going to turn up? Uh, they must have had a chat with him, his agent. You know, it must all be agreed upon. Um, but it's unusual, isn't it? It is. Is it genuinely? Counter- maybe they haven't got enough cubicles in London. Colony. But I mean, is it counterproductive when he's a player that you probably want to sell? And I know his stock is low and everything, but he's not useless, you know. So does excluding him sort of make it more difficult for you to to try and? Uh, move him on and find another club or whatever it might be? Or is he the classic example of what Edu talked about last summer when he said, you know, if a guy is over 26, he's on a big wage and he's not performing, you've got no chance of selling them. Is that just something Arsenal have said? Well, yeah, he ticks all those boxes. You know, at some point we will make an agreement and, and terminate his contract and, you know, he can fly free and end up somewhere else. Well, that's the way it feels like it's headed, doesn't it? I, I, is it mm. counterproductive? I really don't know. It's really hard to say, isn't it? I mean, what harm does it have to have Pepe around the training ground? No, yeah, does, exactly. Does it increase his value? I'm not sure. Maybe they just think, well, look, he's on a very healthy salary here. We want to make it very clear to him that he needs to go. You know, the door is shut. But... Mm. I mean, that's just a... That's a two-second conversation that you have between manager and player or, or sporting director and player and agent. You say, look, it's, it's done here. Let's all find a, a way through this. And maybe this yeah. is their way through. Maybe he doesn't maybe. want to come back. I, yeah, I honestly I don't, don't know. know. I, I don't honestly know. don't know. It's a weird one. It's a it weird is a weird one. one. To come back to the original question, this squad is way too big. 
It's good that Timber got injured. <laughs> we can't carry another body. I think, um, yeah, we, we've got to we've got to shift some of these players, haven't we? Mm. How many times have we said that over the last few years? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pressing now, isn't it? Verging on urgent. Yes, I mean, you know, we're we're into the final fortnight or so of the window. Mm. We really don't want half a dozen guys turning up for afternoon training, not even registered for a game mm. for four months. That yeah. will not be that's healthy. That's the thing. You have to register your squad. When yeah. is the deadline for squad registration? Is it after the window closes, I guess? Yeah, I presume it it's yeah, around yeah. the time of the transfer deadline. Yeah. So you've got to submit your 25-man squad, and that's it, 25-man. And as you say, there's 30-odd right now. So, yeah. you know, at least five or six need to go you know, pretty much fucking straight away or as soon as possible. So um, let's hope they let's hope they can do that. Um, let me ask you this one because you were there. Mm -hmm. um, Tola on the Discord said, Goodly morning, gents. At the Emirates on Saturday, although it was a goodly afternoon, sun shining, three points, cracking goals, etc. I felt the atmosphere might have been a notch subdued in comparison to pretty much any game last season. Did you feel the same thing, whether at the game, James, or watching on TV, Andrew? And if you did... What do you think this might be down to? Some noticed the Ashburton Army's numbers have dropped. Uh, there was a chance the atmosphere was affected by the delay to kick off. But part of me thinks it's down to the new expectancy from us Arsenal fans. It's the first season uh, for at least a decade, I'd say, where we're fully expecting a title challenge. And I think the enjoy the ride mentality of most of last season may have changed. Interested to hear your thoughts. I heard something, yeah, people saying about the atmosphere. I, to be honest, I didn't necessarily notice that there wasn't much atmosphere. I think it was a game in the second half that did drift a bit. And I think that probably played into it. Um, there were some problems getting into the game and a delayed kickoff. I which, think that was definitely a factor. You know, that would dampen spirits, right? Uh, if you were stuck outside the ground. Were you before. caught up in that? or Very much so, yeah. Because I was quite late getting to the game. So I was on the Kong, sort of on the... That's oh, probably not the concourse, isn't it? You know, the sort of... Uh, yeah, the outside -y bit. The outside That's the bit. technical I was in the outside -y bit. And it was super, super busy. Um, from what I understand, there was uh, a technical uh, fault with the uh, ticketing system. And consequently, yeah, it was, you know, we were late getting in and it was delayed kickoff. Mm. Um, uh, inevitably that impacted uh, the atmosphere, I think. And, you know, people were a bit uh, grumpy about mm. the delay, about having to stand around in quite busy conditions. Um, less time to be inside, getting a beer or whatever. And it's 12.30 kickoff. And 12.30 kickoffs, are, you know, or 1pm kickoffs yeah. transpired. I think are just a little bit more sedate. Um I did see that the Ashburton Army uh, allocation in the clock end was a bit smaller than we were used to seeing last season. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe at the clock end that might have made a difference in terms of atmosphere. But I have to be honest, in the North Bank, I didn't, I didn't hugely notice um, a massive difference. But I was very focused on the game, so you know, I may not be the best judge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's hard to tell from television sometimes, but I think as you know, all the circumstances you mentioned, plus the fact that the last part of the game 
was nervy. Yes. I think played a part in how maybe people feel about the overall experience as well. Like if you win 2-0 and everyone goes out and you're not scared for 15 minutes, you just go, that was Grant. Nice, comfortable start to the season. Three points. Lovely. Sunny Saturday. You know. But I also think that there are going to be um, games where perhaps the the atmosphere is going to be, uh, because of the the opposition, is going to be slightly more subdued than it might be against others, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yes, I think that's true. What do you think of this point? Uh, somebody suggested the temperamental gooners uh, on Twitter said, it felt like the reaction to the Forest performance, if not the result, was a bit flat. Is this because of our comparisons to City and how they perform? Friday away at Burnley looks easy for them and they will probably dismantle Forest when they play them at home. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And I think there's probably the... the I don't think it'd be un... Look, you can't take anything for granted. Forest beat us at the end of last season. The Premier League is difficult. But I think when you're 2-0 up at halftime, you're at home, sun is shining, you really want to step on their necks. And I think, you know, we are capable of it. I think we're capable of playing better football, right? We talked about the performance in the second half, lacking a bit of intensity, whatever it might be. I think there might be a comparison with City, but also the sense that maybe we didn't do ourselves justice on the day as well. So I think people will be happy with three points, but the performance, you know, if it's a school report, it's probably fine, can do better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you watch any of City? No. Pretty disheartening, actually, three minutes in when Haaland, like with practically his first touch, just smashes the ball into the net. Will, um, will, will someone, please, just this season, just, I'm just one player in the Premier League, just mark him? Please. Yeah. <laughs> try it. Try it. It might catch on. It might become the new inverted fullback thing. Hey, if we if we yeah. mark this guy. <sighs> yeah. I have to say, I didn't think you were going to say mark then. I thought it was going to be uh, something more violent. <laughs> <laughs> it's early season. We've got a lot of time to get into the weeds of that. Uh, I liked this from Northern Gunners. Big Psy G87 said... Will the narrative change from if Shaka did it to if Arteta did it? Seeing as old boy Roy can get into it and it's just laughed at, but if our Lego head Gaffer did it, Richard Keyes would have exploded with rage and they'd have an hour documentary on Sky about it. I mean, did you see this, Roy Hodgson? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, that was funny. I suppose the difference is that, you know, Roy Hodgson is, however old he is, 76 years of age, Yeah, squaring up to the... Um, Sunderland <laughs> professional athlete yeah exactly I admire him for it you know he absolutely absolutely it was great like you'd see that moment where he's going you loop oh, okay <laughs> you know and it, of course it would have been different if Arteta had, had done it because you know he is younger and, and all the rest of it but I, I do take the point I think you know there are elements of double standards about the way that Mikel Arteta's behaviour on the sideline is is under the spotlight in comparison to some other managers who've, you know, who do the same or worse and have done the same or worse. But, you know, that's that's what we're getting into. Did you see, like, I saw this after the game. We had, must have been a corner, whether we had a corner or Forrest had a corner. And from the TV footage, uh, someone had taken a screenshot and it was Arteta and Nicholas Yover, both of them standing at the front 
of the technical area and the new rule says that only one person at a time can be at the front of the technical area, somebody else can be at the back of the technical area or behind the person who's at the front of the area, uh, the area. so the two of them are, you know, having their conversations as they do when there's a set piece going on and someone had screenshotted it and uh, copied in, like, tagged in the Premier League and the PGMOL and said, so, oh, I thought this wasn't allowed. I mean, is this where we're going with football? Like, people are going to be fucking Twitter snitches with screenshots all season long. For what? Like, what do you do? What are people doing? We found Richard they- Key's burner account. Oh. So hang on, they're allowed to stand behind each other? Yeah, yeah only- Like a little managerial conga? Sort of, like, yeah, human <laughs> caterpillar, but not connected. Um, yeah, no, one person is allowed at the front and one person is allowed further back in the penalty or in the technical area, but both people aren't allowed in the front of the technical area at one time. So manager and assistant manager, manager and coach, whoever it might be. I'm glad the rules are focusing on the important stuff. They are, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I don't want to talk about the rules. <laughs> 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 I mean, like some of the yellow card stuff is is kind of a bit mad to me. It is. It does seem mad. Like maybe it'll stop players waving an imaginary card, but I, I just don't really understand why there's such outrage about that. Like if I'm bombing through on goal and some fucking big bastard hacks me down from behind and I turn around and go, what the fuck are you going to book him for that or what? I get a yellow card as well as the guy who committed the violent assault on my ankles. It just Mm. doesn't seem right. I feel like they need sin bins for this kind of stuff because reducing teams to 10 men for for nonsense like that is, um, I don't think it's good for the game. But anyway, I said I didn't want to talk about the rules. So let me ask you about this. Um, John Larkin on Discord says, What were your thoughts on Havertz's performance on Saturday? The reaction online ranged from really good to really poor. There's a surprise. Uh, Because of how much we've uh, been used to seeing Xhaka perform that role, will it take fans more time to warm to Havertz because of how different it will be? Definitely. I think it will. Um, I thought he did okay. Are you allowed to say that on the internet? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was terrible. thought he was kind of fine. I liked what he did off the ball yes. in some respects more than what he did on it. Yes, I agree with that. I think he's really, his movement off the ball is really, really smart. And I think yeah. on the ball, he could be probably more decisive. Yeah, I think he did some interesting stuff positionally. Uh, you know, he did the Shaka thing of sometimes being the overlap, more, more so in the first half, you know, being on the outside. Um, I think he worked hard defensively. I think he's he seems up for that aspect of it, which you know doesn't necessarily tally with maybe the idea of the player as we've inherited it. Um, I do worry about him though, just because I just think there's massive scrutiny. Like I am optimistic about what he can contribute, but I do feel a little bit like he's on the back foot already with some people and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think he's he's got an uphill battle to win people around. Yeah, I mean, I think the Chelsea thing is obviously part of it, right? Yeah, and the price tag. It's a and big, the price, big tag, price yeah, tag. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's looking less big by the day. By the day, as fucking shit goes on, 
you know, considering what, what's going on. I mean, I know it's one club absolutely skewing the market in a fucking absurd way. But, yeah, no, I think you're right. He does have plenty to prove. I think he's a guy who maybe as well after a couple of years where he hasn't been as productive as he has been in his career, maybe just needs time to build momentum and confidence. And from the way Mikel Arteta talks about him, I think he's going to give him that time and give him those opportunities. So I do hope he can, uh, I do hope he can, you know, be a bit of a slow burn, you know, and start to to integrate properly and, and deliver and contribute with end product. I really hope he can. Like you, I thought he was okay. I, I think he's a very smart mover off the ball. I just think sometimes on the ball, there's just a bit of a delay, but, you know that might come when he gets to know his teammates a bit better and how to how to give them what they want you know at the right time yeah that's another aspect of it so. for them to learn that about him mm. well. um what about this one Arsene Wrangler said during man city and forest i started to see in moments the horseshoe of death is this new players bedding in early season or has arteta started to overthink i don't want to see this slow build up we've seen in the past i mean you're playing against a team who've got 11 men behind the ball at all times and very often they've got those 11 men in the final in their defensive third you know in one third of the pitch and the reality of that is that you you're going to play the ball from side to side to try and open them up a bit and try and uh, and move them around that is just how you have to play against them Maybe it was a bit slow at times. Maybe we didn't um, hit the big switch a few times when we could have. Uh, that might be part of it where maybe... Match in- of the day said that. Did you watch their analysis? I didn't, no. Michael Richards was basically saying he felt, you know, if you want to get Martinelli or Saka one-on-one, you need to hit that big switch. You need to hit them earlier. And Arsenal, I think to be honest, you know, Arsenal had so many players in that central midfield area with Partey, with Havertz, mm. with Rice. Um, maybe it congested it a little bit. So we started playing the short pass to the available man mm. five yards away rather than being a bit more expansive. I think that's. I think that would be a fair criticism. Yeah. So, look, I don't worry about it after one game. I think we're... We can't read too much into one game. You know, things happen over the course of a season. Patterns develop over the course of a season. And, uh, you know, if we see this routinely and we're lacking the um, the kind of incisive passing we've seen. But then again, you know, I can remember like three or four really good Martin Odegaard passes in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about precision of finishing, but also you need precision in those passes as well. There were a couple where Ben White was maybe just a little bit too long, sending them over the top for, for Saka. You know, things like that where, you know, your perception of what happened is altered by, you know, where you're receiving the ball and the players who are getting on the end of some of those passes. You know, there was sufficient movement and sufficient precision in our play, despite some of the slow passing, for us to score two very, very good goals in the first half. And it's not easy to score uh, against teams that sit that deep. So early season, first game, not 100% fit yet, blah, blah, blah all the things we mentioned in the first half, I think those played a part. So I'm not too, I'm not too concerned. Um, Ryan McCann said, do you think the state of the pitch on Saturday 
contributed to Timber's injury. I don't know about that, but he said it's a disgrace for the pitch to be in that condition for the first game of the season. And Andrew Allen mentioned this to me as well. I don't know if you noticed, but apparently the pitch was not great. Interesting. I didn't notice that. I don't have the best view of that. Um, You're sort of more pitch level, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So I don't really get as good a read of that. But uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Don't know don't know about the quality of the pitch, but it would be a surprise and a shame because mm. it's historically obviously been one of the best services in the Premier League. Maybe I know nothing about grass or groundskeeping, but maybe, you know, there is, it is sort of time to kind of grow into the season. Um, mm. Maybe it isn't at its best at, at the kickoff. Yeah, I mean, he said, Arteta said, um, we wanted a high rhythm game today because we knew the pitch was going to get dry and it was really hot and it's going to be slower. So I don't know if they had some concerns about the pitch themselves. Mm. Maybe we just need new carpet. Maybe. Carpet. It's as simple as that. Yes. Um, I've kind of done mine, to be honest. You're out, are you? I'm out. I'm out. They're all just about, is it sad about you in Timber? Yeah. Yes, it's sad. It's very sad. I've got a couple. Go on. Stephen Di Maria says, in all seriousness... How the fuck can Chelsea spend nine hundred million pounds in three windows? I don't know. To be fair, nah, fuck being fair. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say they have brought in a lot more money than clubs typically bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, Selling a few players to Saudi League, yeah, here and there. Mm-hmm. One to and, us, of course. You know they've done their f- trick of putting people on 11-year contracts and amortising fees across that. No, you can't do that anymore. It's a maximum five years now. Unless um, you're Moises Caicedo, seemingly. No, no, no. You can still get the long contract, but you can only oh, do I the see. amortization thing the over fee. five years. Right. Okay, that makes sense. This is, yeah. I mean, look, you know, we're all uh, finance experts and medical experts these days, all football fans, you know. Um, but the, the long contracts are mad. Caicedo is getting eight plus one. I mean, the sort of gossip in football at the time was that when Todd Bowley came in, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn saying this, but a lot of people looked at it and sort of thought, maybe they think they've got a transfer ban coming for something. Because the way they were just sort of collecting players Mm. was, um, you know, never seen before, uh, the the rate of it. It's crazy. But... Weren't there some? There was some story last week about, yeah, yeah, historical inaccuracies in some of the reporting yeah. and offshore fucking doodas and what's it? I think it was linked to the Abramovich era. Yes, yeah. but it may still have uh, repercussions for them now. So maybe you know they're mindful of that and they're thinking let's do as much business as we possibly can. But a couple of windows have gone by and mm. FIFA ain't doing nothing. You know, UEFA aren't doing anything. Chelsea are still. Out there buying up players. What do you make of the Caicedo thing and the way it played out this week? Because, you know, I, I'm reminded of the video that you did earlier in the summer where you talked about transfers, how they happen, contact with players. It's, nominally, it's tapping up and all the rest of it. But, you know, you don't make a bid until you know the player is is going to join. You know, basically that was, you know, part of the process that, that you laid out. In so, most cases, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you deliver like... Uh, it's fine maybe putting in a you know a surprise bid for a 20 30 million pound player but how do liverpool make a 110 million pound bid 
that is then accepted and not be 100% sure that the player is going to join the club. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And they've fucked the Lavia thing now up as well. I think what, what, yeah, I mean, they're having a nightmare. And let me tell you, they look like a team in desperate need of a defensive midfielder from what I saw of them against Chelsea. But Kieran Tierney can play defensive midfield. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola Pepe can play defensive midfield. That's maybe that's what we've got him training to do. He's he's on an island with Gilberto Silva. <laughs> we're going to try and train him up as something else and sell him on. I think um, what must have happened there is that Liverpool were quite late to the Caicedo thing mm. you know Chelsea have been in talks for ages sometimes you do make a bid for a player and he and he he doesn't come or he doesn't want to join ask Man City about bidding for Declan Rice um you know I think Caicedo's position was if Chelsea can't do a deal with Brighton then yes right. I will happily join Liverpool but I guess Chelsea in the background the whole time have been giving him the assurances don't worry, we will eventually get a deal done with Brighton. So when Brighton agreed to be with Liverpool, he didn't jump at the chance to go and do a medical with Liverpool because he still had Chelsea on the phone saying, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. Todd's coming. Uncle Todd and his big bag of fucking dollars. I mean, they yeah. started, what did they start bidding like at 60 million for Caicedo? Uh, in January, few, yeah. You know, and now, they. I mean, are Brighton fucking brilliant or Chelsea just dumb as a box of rocks I don't know I mean it, we knew inflation was bad we didn't know it was that bad fucking hell fucking um, hell they've got a good player don't get me wrong yeah they do but you know uh, I just can't believe what the going rate is these days for a, a decent defensive midfielder I mean we know about that ourselves mm. but oh man at least we could say English tax you know sure sure um it's the yeah, famous it's Ecuadorian tax <laughs> coming into play again. Yeah, that's the uh, the bane of the Premier League. Final one from the eleventh. Gabby says, "How great was it to see Harry Kane realise he can't argue with the ref in German?" <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've not been on since Harry's um, mm. departure, and may I just say how delighted I am that he's gone how happy I am about how sad Spurs fans are and how much I hope he never comes back. Um, Not even on holidays. No, I, I, the borders are shut. Uh, you know, that's one, that's a couple of penalties per season we won't be conceding. Mm, unless, of course. Aaron Ramsdale's the most relieved man in England. In the Champions League. <laughs> in the Champions League, of course. Oh my God, Andrew. Sorry. Just real, I hadn't thought through the permutations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are your Spurs friends absolutely fuming? I think they're just sad. That's better, isn't it? You know. That is I, better. Well, I did think during the Brentford game, you know, they had the issue, the delayed kickoff, no running water. I thought, just show all the Spurs fans a montage of Harry Kane goals. Hang on, You'd what? you be flooded in tears. Oh, what, what did you I don't miss? know about this. No. The Brentford Spurs game was delayed. Their players were on the pitch about to take kickoff. Right. And the referee had to go and explain to the managers, we can't uh, start the game because there's no running water and it's a sanitary issue. <laughs> so say what you like about Arsenal's e-ticketing system. 
Well, let me tell you, when I went in that stadium, you water everywhere. Flush the bogs, no problem. You could flush the bogs, turn on the taps. The urinals did that thing where they come on automatically every now and again. <laughs> Listen, we're a serious club. All right. Thanks, Uncle Stan, for keeping the taps on. Keeping the water pumping. All right. Uh, we had better leave it there. Like I said to you, we'll uh, make the uh, the Patreon podcast available to you uh, free of charge, free uh, to where it's in the show notes. Do uh, click away uh, and have a listen to that after you finish this, of course, as ever. Thank you very much indeed for being with us. It'll be a Tuesday Arscast Extra next week because we're not playing until Monday. Yep. Fucking second week of the season and we've got an Arsenal free weekend get time to get Timber on that rehab see if we can turn him round for Palace away nice and quick got a couple of extra days nice and quick alright thank you folks we will catch you on the next one bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.